All right, that is not a misprint after what feels like weeks and weeks and weeks of entire chapters. We're going to do a whole Sunday on six verses. Technically, that's seven, right? My brain doesn't want to do math. Yeah, that's seven verses, yeah. Told you it's going to be one of those mornings. So I mentioned to you guys last week part of the, uh, the work of God in the, mix, uh, in the midst of the mundaneness of life. This little section is a great example of it because it's a picture of God doing amazing, miraculous work while people are just going about their day, doing what they do day in and day out. Warning. This is something we haven't covered in a really long time in Exodus because we haven't had to. Today we do, so we'll bring it up again. I warned you when we started Exodus that part of our, our challenge was going to be not to be dogmatic when Exodus was not dogmatic. And to be dogmatic when it was. Because the temptation is to try to have firm opinions on things that the Bible just simply does not care about. I have so many questions about this passage that the book of Exodus simply just does not even care to answer. Which means, you know how many of them we're going to answer? None of them. We're not even going to go there. You know why? Because the Bible doesn't tell me. And Jesus loves me this I know because the Bible tells me so. If the Bible doesn't tell me so, then I'm left wandering in the wilderness. Lesson for Scripture and life. If Scripture does not give you the answer, you will make shipwreck of your mind if you attempt to spend your life finding the answer. And I'm, and I'm not kidding. Too many ministries have shipwrecked themselves and gone off the deep end trying to answer the questions that are simply not answerable. So I have so many questions about this passage that the Bible just is not interested in giving me answers to. So I have to sit there and say, I want answers, but I'm not going to get them. So I have to move on and answer the things that are actually there. It's that whole shadows in the painting thing we talked about last week. When you look at a painting, you don't stare and try to figure out what the artist is putting in the shadow because that would be dumb, and that would be a waste of time. Instead, you look at what he actually painted. We want to do that, which means we want to see the work of God, understand what it teaches us, and then do the other important thing, which is put that understanding into practice. Always remember, our goal is to be wise in the Word, not just knowledgeable. Knowledge is knowing a bunch of stuff. Wisdom is knowing that stuff and knowing what to do with it. That is the goal for Christian living. So, with that said... Let's dive in. Verse 29. It came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand as he was coming down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. You'll notice the second hymn is capitalized, so that's how you know that one is God. This is kind of cool and very, very important for Israel especially as they stand there, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But more importantly, we want to make sure we apply something for us. What is this pointing you to? Popular today. Think through how this moves you forward, because this is the lesson about God. Matthew 17, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. Always remember, what is Moses' job in Scripture? No, 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 no. That's Moses' job for Israel, is to be their mediator and messenger from God. What is his job in Scripture? There it is, to point to Christ. To be the messenger is his job for Israel. What is Scripture about? It is about Christ pointing you forward. This is one of those ways. Moses, the prophet who knows God face to face, the mediator of the covenant, the mediator of Israel's grace. Remember, when Israel sins, Moses' answer is what? Forgive their sin, but if you won't forgive their sin, then kill me. Don't kill them. Moses takes their place, or attempts to. This is a picture of Christ. This here is part of a picture of Christ. When you read that in Matthew, it should set off bells that what was God doing? Where have I seen something like this before? Now, this is where you get lesson about God time. Why has Moses got the world's greatest tan? That, you know, is it Richard Hamilton? Is that, was that the dude? The dude made of leather in the 80s? <laughs> there's, a, there's a bad name reference for you. Looks like a piece of Samsonite luggage. Why does Moses have a better tan than Richard Hamilton? Genesis 1. God said, let there be light, and there was light. 
God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning, day one. Now, question. How many of you pictured that in your brain? What did you picture? (laughs) See, because that's verses 3 through 5. The reason why I ask that is... Don't take your theology always from children's Bibles, (laughs) because sometimes we don't draw the pictures very well. Because if you fast forward to verse 14, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. Let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. Who knows what day this is in creation? This is day four. So we created sun, moon, and stars on day four, but we had light on day one. Hmm. This is why the History Channel looks at you and goes, see, you can't trust your book of Genesis because stuff like that just doesn't make any sense. And from a scientific perspective, you know what? They're absolutely right. It doesn't make any sense. I'm not interested in a scientific perspective. I'm interested in what God has said and who God is. 1 Timothy chapter 6. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So we know that God is the light from day one and moving onward. We know now why Moses' face is shining, because we remember that God is the source of this light and is the power behind this light. Did you notice how Paul used the description of God? That's the key thing here moving forward. Was it a theological lesson that he was giving to Timothy about God to explain that God who dwells in unapproachable light? Was that the point? No. It was a point about the majesty, the grandeur, the might of God that he used to do what to Timothy? To charge him, to challenge him. Because of who this God that you serve is, remember what you are to be doing. That's where that connection will be made for Israel moving forward. In other words, understanding who God is becomes your little springboard for life. What's the springboard meant to do? And boing, and I jump a little higher. Think of it like a nice trampoline. I've joked for years when we've got to change the lights. We need to just get a big old trampoline in here and, you know, bounce up there, grab on, you know. Instead, we bought a ladder. They take all the fun out of life. <laughs> now, why is that important? How, is it, how does this become a springboard? Christian, why do you do what you do? Because too often our motivation is, well, what will they think of me? I don't want somebody to think I did something wrong. I don't want God to be mad at me. I don't want dot, 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 dot. Christian, you know God. Because you know God, you love God. Because you love God, you trust God. And because you trust God, excuse me, you trust God because of that you serve God. The why is determined, or rather the what is determined by the why. The answer is, why do I live like this? Because I love the God who has called me the God who has saved me and redeemed me, and this is what he has told me is good. Now, hindsight will tell you what. The more that I follow what he has told me to good, that in general, what is better for me? Everything. Everything. This is why we've spent how many years and how many churches telling you, well, here's the principles. Here are seven godly principles on how to run your business. Here are eight godly principles on how to raise your children. Here are five principles to improve your marriage. (laughs) Now, those things are all well and good, right? Because what are they building on? They're building on the fact that if you do what God has called you to do because you love him, in general, life will go better. Why don't I do that stuff? Because of that big old word, or two words, in general. In general. Can you do things right and good in this world and have life kick you in the teeth? Yes, yes you can. If your service of God is built upon what he will do for you, what will happen when he tests and tries you? Your service will do what? It's a technical term. (laughs) Now why does that matter? Because your service is not built upon what you get out of this. That's the same thing as saying, well, I don't want them to think badly of me, therefore I don't cheat on my taxes. 
I don't cheat on my taxes because it's lying, and I seek to honor the God who is truth. Therefore, I honor him in all that I do, even if the IRS deserves it. I'm not making that argument either way. I'm just, you know, throwing it out there. <laughs> I don't serve what I hate. I serve who loves me and who I love. The why determines the what of what I do. The reason why I don't try to build you on principles is because of the principle you need to be built on is who is God? What has he done for his people? Why does that matter in your life? Therefore, go live and do likewise. You have to build out the principles because you know what happens? Tuesday comes along and everything I told you was going to happen is what? It's gone. It doesn't happen the way I said it was going to happen. I'm not that smart. But if your life is built around knowing who God is, that he is right and he is good and he is faithful and he is just and he is upholding his people, then I understand what he is doing. And I know that no matter what the trial or the test may be, he will uphold me. Whatever the trial may be, he will give me the strength to persevere. Whatever the difficulty may be, I will have the grace to overcome. Therefore, I continue in my service to him, not because I'm enjoying life so much right now, but because I'm serving a God who has redeemed me from my sin. There's a difference between those things. That's the... the eh. Told you it's going to be a day. That is the springboard lesson of understanding who God is. Has Israel done a good job of that? No, Israel's done a terrible job of that, which is why we continue to do what? We continue to teach, and that's why this becomes important. So, verse 30. When Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. That makes total sense. Not because they're afraid of the big glowing guy, but why is he glowing and where has he been? Like, I, I live just outside of Byron. If I show up one day glowing green, you're going to be like, um... <laughs> yeah, you would be afraid to come near me. Moses has not been near the nuclear plant, therefore, what are they recognizing? What are they seeing? I mean, he's not sunburned. He's literally glowing. He's shining. This is... Yeah. They're understanding the power and presence of God. Mark 4, this is one of, my, one of my favorites. This is probably like top 10 little Bible passages. On that day when evening came, he said to them, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with him. And I'm sorry, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So, you know, nice little boat going across the sea, you know. Storm breaks up, Jesus taking a nap in the back, because apparently that's the best way to sleep is with the boat doing this. <laughs> and they're a little, apparently. So they're a little freaked out. So he got up, Jesus got up and rebuked the wind in the sea. Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. I love that translation from the NASB because I lived for too long in the South and my brain immediately reads it as, hush, be still. Now, the reason I say that is because God spoke and commanded his creation. Did that come out as, hush y'all, settle down. I doubt it too. I doubt it a whole lot. And the reason why I doubt it is, he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? In other words, they just saw God in action. They saw the power and majesty and presence of God on full display, and they were rightly a little freaked out. There you go. This is why this matters. It puts things in perspective very quickly. I've told you guys this before. There, sometimes you can do this with music. Sometimes just understanding what's going on is helpful. I used to... Um, in a former life at another church, I had a, a choir director who used to think we got a little too silly on occasion. Can you, can you imagine me being a little too silly? I know, it's, it's, it's unfathomable. And I think that the, the reason I could tell is that every once in a while, we always had what we called a call to worship. I mean, this was old school traditional church with, you know, you know, piano. If they could find somebody to play the organ, they played the organ. You always had, started off with a short little chorus song to usher in the service, you know, and then you'd dive in and do everything. So she... um. 
she had this song that would just always hit you right because we had this big vaulted ceiling and a couple of nice bass voices that I can't imitate. You know, think, think a couple people like Bill singing and make it sound real good. And she did this song called The Lord is in His Holy Temple. Anybody know this one? Oh, it's brutal. Yeah, can't, well, of course you know it. You were there. <laughs> it, because it does the same bait and switch on you. It's a beautiful song for that. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is in his holy temple. Keep silence. Keep silence. Keep silence before him. See, you just stop for a minute. Your whole brain just kind of like, I want to behave now. That's why Moses is shining. This is the right reaction. Understanding that God is standing at the mountain, that Moses, because remember what happened last time Moses came down the mountain? Yeah, we were playing Dodge Tablet. Nobody wants to play that game again. So he comes down shining, which is also a neat little thing because did Moses come down shining last time? No, which means God could control this. In other words, the people did not heed the warning of the word. They did not heed the warning of the covenant. They did not heed the warning of the, ta of the tablets. Therefore, more will be required. God does not forsake his people. He does what is necessary to proclaim his goodness and his message. Um, Revelation 1 kind of gives you the same thing. When John is confronted with Jesus, glowing and shining in the eyes ablaze of fire, he falls down at his feet like a dead man. This is a good response. Verse 31, Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers in the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. This also makes total sense and is a good response. Because if you continue after John in Revelation has fallen down at the feet of Jesus like a dead man because he's seen the glory of God, he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, the living one, and I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Remember Moses' job. Big picture. What's he doing? He's showing you Christ. When Christ comes in his glory, he does what for his people? He calls them to himself. When Moses comes down the mountain showing off the glory of God, he sees the people of God and does what in their terror and fear? Calls them to himself. Remember, Scripture is pointing you to the work of Christ. The work of Christ has been going on from the very beginning. It is at work in Israel. It is at work through Moses. It will be at work in the kingdom. It will be at work through the prophets. It is at work. Luke 24 reminds you of this. Traveling the road to, uh, the road to Emmaus, the, uh, the two travelers tell Jesus everything that's gone on. Oh, foolish men, slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things, to enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Always remember that was the point. Your Bible is not there just so you can have a big heavy book that collects dusts. Collects dust. Well, shouldn't the plural of dust be dusts? Shouldn't it be? All right, we're, we've, we've decided. We're making a ruling. It's not there so that you don't understand it. How many times have we done that? I didn't get it. I don't understand it. Slow down. Start again. I told you this before. I had um, Dr. John Salehammer, an interesting, quirky little man who used to come to class as a seminary professor and lecture off of a post-it note. <laughs> I am still convinced to this day that if, you, that if his wife didn't tell him, before you leave the house, make sure you put on socks, underwear, and pants, he would like grab a book, grab his briefcase, and go. Like That was just Dr. Salehammer. But he was in charge of my hermeneutics class. And so somebody, because the big thing was read it again, read it again, read it again, read it again, read it again. And so one day someone wasn't understanding this. It wasn't me. He was sitting over there, though. It was just in front of me about two rows and over. So he goes, okay, let's just say I've taken this passage of scripture and I read it and I just don't understand it. And of course, Dr. Sethammer gave him the answer, read it again. He goes, okay, I read it again and 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 I still don't understand it. <laughs> and well, Dr. Selheimer gave him a good answer. He goes, well, then the problem is with you. And it's just like, ow. 
911, I'd like to report a murder. He's right over there. He's, he's dead on the floor. Um, and his answer was because scripture comes from God for the benefit of his people, which means if you read it and you don't understand it, the problem is not with God, the problem is with us. So now we go through the steps. And then we went through the steps. Read the paragraph before, read the paragraph after, read the chapter before, read the chapter after, read the book before, read the book after. Do that both in chronological terms and do that in canonical terms because your books aren't always in chronological order. So find the other books written around the same time, find the other books written about the same uh, same time period, find the other books around the same uh, information. Borrow from that because the problem is with us and not God. This revelation... This explanation is meant to accomplish things. God is teaching and revealing and demonstrating. John 1. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Same connection. John testified him about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Of all his fullness we have all received in grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Christ. Always make that distinction. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Christ. Not given, realized. You have one salvation in your Bible, not two. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. In other words, who slash what explains God? Christ and his work. The testimonies to Christ of the Old Testament are meant to explain and teach you who God is, what he is doing. Why? Because the more you know about God, the more you will what? Love him. The more that you love him, the more that you will what? Trust him. The more that you trust him, the more that you will serve him. The why will be influenced by what you know of him. In other words, you will be wise in the world, growing in wisdom and strength to do the tasks that God has called. So, verse 32. Afterward, all the sons of Israel came near, and he, that would be Moses, commanded them to do everything that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. Yes, he did. This is the point. John 3. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Haven't said this in a while. It'll be worth going over again, though. Why was Moses given the power and the ability to do the miraculous things that he was doing? Simple way to remember this. The miracle confirms the message. That was Moses' complaint. You're going to send me to the sons of Israel, and I'm going to tell them all this stuff, and they're going to look at me like i got nine heads, and no one's going to believe me. Well, what's that thing you got in your hand? It's a staff. Throw it on the ground. Throw it on the ground, and what happens to it? Becomes a serpent. Yeah! Moses runs away. Well, pick it up. He picks it up. It's a staff again. Okay. Well, what if they don't believe that? Well, take your hand. Put it in your cloak. Take your hand out of your cloak. What is it? It's covered in leprosy. Put your hand back in your cloak. Take your hand out. What is it? It's healed. What if they don't believe that? Well, take a little water out of the river. Pour it on the ground. What will it be? Blood. If they don't believe the first one, they'll believe the second one. If they don't believe the second one, they'll believe the third one. We never got past three because at that point, if some dude's doing that sort of thing, what are you saying? I'm in. (laughs) I don't know what we're doing, but I'm in. That's the point. The miracle confirms the message. See, Moses came down the mountain as the guy who led them out of Israel with the tablets, and what did they do? They rebelled. They rejected. It wasn't enough for them. So now Moses comes down shining the glory of God, and everybody went, yes, sir. I'm listening. What you got? Okay. Sounds like a good plan. In other words, why should they believe Moses? Why shouldn't they question his leadership? I mean, the dude is literally shining. Now, fast forward. Why shouldn't they have been questioning Jesus? You want to have some fun for homework? Go read John 5. Read John 5. It's the entirety of the testimony of why you should be listening to what Jesus is saying. There's the testimony of Scripture. There's the works of the Father. There's the miracles that he's doing. There's the testimony of John. There's his own testimony. Go have fun. Read John 5. It will, in fact, do you good. You knew it was coming. You had to know. Why? 
because it's the constant rundown of all of these things. That's why you see throughout the Gospels, no one ever speaks like this man. No one ever did the things that this man has done. McFly, ding, 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 that's supposed to be telling you something, and that something is what? That this isn't like every other man. This isn't like every other teacher that you have had. That's why they all marvel at the teaching, because what does Jesus do? He teaches with authority. Only person who's supposed to be teaching with authority is God. Hmm. Connections. And by the way, that instruction is meant for God's people. It is the point of your existence, and it is the point of what is going on. How? <laughs> told you it's going to be one of those days. Psalm 32. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding. I'm sure you have heard, stubborn as a mule, right? Yeah, there's a reason for that. Whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. I mean, let's be honest. If you want a horse to do something and the horse doesn't want to do it, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> I mean, I've had this joke before. I, um, I have a large dog. Some of you have met Andre. He's a St. Bernard, so you know what a St. Bernard looks like. Um, I have always had large dogs, even as a kid. I grew up in a house with German shepherds that were 90-plus pounds, so large dogs are comfortable for me. I, uh, years ago, we had a Newfoundland who was around 120, 130 pounds, and I used to laugh. We used to go to the vet because they, in order for him to get his little checkup, they had the little table that goes on the ground, and then you hit the button, and it raises up so that you can put the big dogs on it and actually not have to... Because you can't pick a big dog up and put them on the table. Well, they don't want to pick the big dog up and put them on the table. I better, I better rephrase that. So they have a little one on the floor, and he steps on it, and then they hit the button, and it raises up so that he's at working level. And we were at the vet one time with Axel. That was the Newfoundland. And three vet techs and you know somebody else going, come on, it's a good boy. And he did not want to step onto that table. He didn't... He didn't want to do it. He just, he sat down, he laid down, he rolled over, he put one foot there. He's like, he was not going to do it. So I finally said, can I, can I put him on the table? Well, we don't want you to pick him up. Okay, fine. So I walked over and went, little man, get on the table. And he <sighs> and walked up on the table and sat down. And the vet tech looked at me and said, little man, he's smaller than me and he knows it. That's why this matters. I can do that with a dog. can't do that with a horse. I can grab the dog by the back of the neck and say, don't do that again. I can't grab a horse by the back. What are you doing? <laughs> what, I'm going to fly in a minute. That's what we're doing. There always reaches a point where someone is bigger, someone is stronger, something is more powerful. This is the lesson of Exodus. Why didn't Israel just get up and leave? I mean, isn't that, I mean, isn't that how Exodus worked? Israel went to the Egyptian and said, hey, give us all your stuff, we're leaving. And Egypt went, fine, go, get out. Why didn't we think of this years ago? Well, because we didn't have that kind of power. We didn't have that kind of authority. But after God systematically broke down the Egyptian pantheon and all of their powers, they said what? Get out, please, while we still are breathing. In other words, they got their butts kicked by something bigger. The reminder here is Christian. You're not the biggest, baddest one in the valley. God is. So don't be the horse and the mule, because what do we do to them? Bit and bridle so that they do what? So what we say. Otherwise, they will not come near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. See, this is always that reminder of the two, presence, two presences, you say that, of God. So if God just showed up tomorrow, came down into the middle of Rockford, you know, what would be the reaction of most people? Yeah. Christian, what would be your reaction? <laughs> Why? What's different? Both are seeing the quaking and the light and the shining and the flashing and hearing the thunder and the trumpet. I feel like I'm about to break into a Garth Brooks song any second now. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. We are all seeing the same thing. Why are they running in terror and fear and we are running in joy and celebration? It's see, the difference is understanding who he is and why he's here. See, don't be the stubborn 
lover of sin, the one who wants to rule his world, because eventually the one who is ruling this world is going to show up and tell you to get out of his seat. When I tell the kids to get out of my chair, you know what they do? They get out of my chair, because that's my chair. I get to sit in my chair. Don't ask me why everybody wants to sit in dad's chair, but that is a universal thing. I did it to my dad, that my kids do it to me, but I walk in and go, get out of my seat, and they go, and they get out of it. When God shows up and says, get out of my seat, they're all going to say what? My bad. <laughs> Welcome to idolatry, though. Idolatry is what? Me climbing into God's throne and saying, I like this chair. This is comfy. Oh, it's your chair. Ooh. We don't have that fear because we go running because we recognize what? That we don't occupy the chair. And if we do, it's because he let us sit in it. Like, I don't throw the kids out. I just say, I want to sit down, get out of my chair, and they get up and move. Not like, move or else. <laughs> See? Yeah, you can, you can tell how evil and vicious I am with them. The command, the miraculous work is there so that they will be in, so that there be instruction. The instruction is there so that you will what? Know who God is and what he has called you to. This is consistent throughout. Matthew 11, great call from Jesus. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, do you ever think about that verse? Are you at rest wearing a yoke? <laughs> like, here you go. Put that on your shoulders. Isn't that nice? Oh, I like this. I'm going to go take a nap. In Christ, you are. Because you've got to do something. You've got to serve something or someone. There's no rest in your sin. There's no rest in your iniquity. There's no rest in the world because what are you always looking for? There's got to be the next thing. There's got to be something better. There's got to be something that actually satisfies. And it doesn't. But in Christ, I do the same thing. Like I get up, I go to work, I talk to the neighbors, I go to the grocery store, I put gas in the car. I do the same things in the world that I did in Christ. But in Christ, there is blessing. In Christ, there is rest. Why? Because I'm now recognizing it's not an endless cycle. I just go buy groceries until we all eat them again, and then I got to go buy groceries. And I go, look, I, some of you have cyclical jobs. Like, my job, there are weeks where it's like, ah, I did all that stuff last week. And you know what I get to do on Monday? Prep to do it all over again. Yeah, it's factory work. Daryl gets this. We're making pallets. Next week, we're doing what? We're making more pallets. And the week after that, we're making more pallets. <laughs> I did this for years in a sandwich shop. We're making sandwiches today. What are we doing today? Well, we're going to bake some potatoes. We're going to bake cookies. We're going to bake bread. And then we're going to make sandwiches until the lunch rush dies. And what are we going to do tomorrow? Same thing. We used to do catering orders for six and 700 sandwiches. <laughs> bread, lettuce, tomato, four ounces of meat, bread. You wrap that up. Bread, lettuce, tomato, four ounces of meat, bread, you wrap that up. 700 times. To the point where for, for the longest time I didn't have to weigh out four ounces of lunch meat because I could just grab it and no. And then the owner would come by, how much is that? It's four ounces, are you sure? Because if you made a half sandwich, it was two and a half ounces. There you go, is that right? <laughs> He wanted you to weigh everything. I'm like, no, it's right, dude. Because you make them enough times, you're just like, you can, you literally, you can feel it. It's mundane. What makes that, what takes that from drudgery to joy? It's the same job. You're never going to find joy in constructing the perfect sandwich when you've got to do 700 of them. Because you know what you got to do? Hey, look at, look at that. I never once got to go, look at it. It's beautiful. The lettuce and the tomato and the turkey just glistens in the sunlight on this lovely Kaiser roll. Oh. You know why I can't do that? Because I got 699 more that I got to make. There are things to do. Life moves on. My joy is not in that sandwich. My joy is not in this. My joy is in the work that I do for God. I make this glorious sandwich, not so that someone will enjoy this glorious sandwich. I mean, I want them to enjoy it, but because God has given me the task of making this sandwich. Therefore, I make it well, because it's pleasing in the sight of God to worship and work rightly and worshipfully each and every day. The work hasn't changed. What's changed? I've changed. Me. 
That's what the instruction is for. That's why there's rest in the yoke of Christ. It's the same work. It's the same drudgery. It's the same thing day after day, week after week, year after year until the day that you die. The difference is in Christ there is peace. In Christ there is progress. In Christ there is a reason behind the work. That's why Paul can tell you in Galatians, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. So, with all of that, so that Moses can teach, so that the people will know, so that they may actually live and thrive in the world that God is building and the things that he is doing, how comfortable are you with Moses walking around looking like he's on fire? probably about as comfortable as they were. So when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Once again, because this is looking forward. Is Moses the guy? No. He's good, but he is not the guy. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened, for until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. To this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. Whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. In other words, why were they freaked out? So you're looking at this going, a couple of you are like, I'm good with this. I want Moses shining everywhere he goes, because every time I see him, it'd be a reminder of what? A reminder of God. The people's answer is what? Um, can we? Because can, this, is, this is a little creepy, and I'm a little uncomfortable right now, and yeah. Because their minds were hardened. Their hearts were not in the right place. The things of God were drudgery. They were burdensome. They were not joyous. Therefore, a reminder of the things of God are what? They're a burden. They're heavy. Something that I have to bear, not something that I do joyously. Again, what was different? Moses is shining either way. The difference is how I perceive it and understand it based on what? How I understand who God is and what he's doing. This is again why getting the why of what we do is so important. Now, here's where we get some fun. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out. That's just the duh of the day. Why? Is it so he could get a recharge? No, because Moses went in and spoke to God for 40 days and 40 nights and didn't come down the mountain glowing. So if he veil, why does he keep doing that? Sorry. If he wears the veil, could Moses still shine? If God decides to, yes. What's the veil do? separates. It covers. Christian, where is there no separation and no cover? When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I will know fully, just as I also have been known fully. In other words, who sees and knows? God does. What am I hiding? Welcome to why, Christian. We do this all the time. All right, I am the world's worst person for this because everybody gets mad at me, okay? I despise white lies. With the heat of a thousand suns. If you, I am that husband. If you look at me and say, does this outfit make me look fat? If it makes you look fat, I'm going to say yes. I am going to. I just am. No, no, no. I am Golden Corral frying pan guy, okay? Frying pan, face, every single time. And you know what I expect? I expect the same thing back, because you know what I want? I want the most loving thing you can provide for me, and the most loving thing you can provide for me, provide for me at all times is truth. Truth in everything. Why? Because we spend so much time trying to soften things and trying to ease into things when what we really need to do is rip the stinking band-aid off and get on with life. We just do. We just do. 
I told you the story, was it last week, a couple weeks ago, about my parents giving me the eye drops? And they should have done that. They should have pinned me to the bathroom floor like they did, sat on me and pried my eyelids open because I was being ridiculous. You know what I needed? I needed the stupid eye drops. You know who wasn't going to put them in there? Me. You know who wasn't going to let anybody put them in there? Me. So what did they do? They did the best thing they could for me. Now, if you had walked into that room, you'd be like, what is going on here? Like an 11-year-old kid pinned to the bathroom floor with a 200-pound adult sitting on his chest, you know, trying to sit still. Looked like something out of The Exorcist. Might have been. (laughs) Was that the most loving thing my parents could do? Yes. Absolutely. Because it was needed. It was necessary. There's nothing hidden with God. Why do we hide things from fellow believers and people that we claim to love and live with? The answer is because we're saving face. We don't want you to think badly of me. Wrong motivation, Christian. There is nothing hidden that will not be revealed. I wrote that one down. No one after lighting a lamp covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed. He puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Nothing. God knows. Either he will judge it in eternity or he has already covered it by the blood of Christ. And if God can have that attitude, why can't I? See, this is the answer we're supposed to have for fellow believers. We're supposed to actually have grace, mercy, and love for one another. Because again, your sin will be dealt with by God in eternity, or it has already been paid for by Christ. I don't have to worry. The avenger will either take care of that, or it has been taken care of. I have nothing to fear. This is what we were talking about in Sunday school this morning, why understanding that God is love and grace and mercy is good, but you have to understand it while also understanding that he is justice and wrath and vengeance. Because if you forget either side of that, you end up unbalanced. And we always talk about driving. We drive on the road. We don't drive in the ditch. There are ditches on both sides. I remember in this world that God has loved me and forgiven me and shown me mercy. Therefore, I can love because I have been loved. I can show grace because I have been shown grace. But God is also just and wrathful against sin. Which means if you don't turn there awaits for you a terrifying expectation of judgment. I don't have to judge you. You've been judged already. Repent, believe, and be rescued. That's why the veil comes off. Christian, this is why the veil should come off. Where's the one place amongst the one group of people on the planet we should be afraid of nothing? should be a Christian fellowship. It should be a church. Where's the one place we typically in culture lie to each other the most? church why i don't know what they'll think of me we think you're terrible that's what we think of you all right now that we've gotten that out of the way we can move on right i assume going in that there is some horrid hideous monster in your closet it's just a matter of time before we all figure out what it is because you know what he's coming out of it at some point at some point you can only pretend for so long This is why I love people who have been saved as adults from horrendous lives. Because they're like, man, you should hear about how awful I was before Jesus saved me. They don't, Daryl's like, yes. They don't have any shame of this because they lived it and everybody knows it. There's nothing to worry. I don't have to hide it from you. It's people that grew up in church that typically have the hardest time with this because you guys were shamed with it the most. Don't raise your hands back there. Cameron's like, yes, yes. Because it was a show and a game and everything involved. And you know what? You know who's got absolutely zero time for that? Can't imagine why I've been fired from a church before, can you? (laughs) For doing exactly this. Why? Because I want truth. So I will tell you, you look fat in those jeans. And I will tell you that that's dumb. And I will tell you that that is sinful. And we're not going to play that game. And if we don't like that, then the problem is not with me. The problem is with Christ. Brutal honesty with who first? Who lies to you the most? You do. Brutal honesty with who first? You. And then look at the people in your life and say, please, I am going to be honest with me about who I am and what I'm about. Will you please do the same? And then we can actually work on this stuff together. Welcome to the Christian Fellowship. See, because we don't do that, 
We allow the world to divide us. We allow the world to segment us off and make us think we're just like them. We're not. We're not better, but we're clean. We have a light that shines. You can't shine that light. You have dot, 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 dot. You're exactly right. I have dot, 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 which is why I can shine this light because I didn't come up with it. It's Christ's. It's not my light. It's his. It's not my love. It's his. It's not my grace. It's his. It's not my mercy. It's his. Therefore, I can shine it without fear or worry because I didn't earn it and you can't take it. Therefore, I'm not afraid of you, and I'm not worried about you. I'm worried for you, but I'm not worried about what you'll do to me because I can stand without fear and stand without worry because I have Christ. That's why the veil comes off. Whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel what he had been commanded, the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, so Moses would replace the veil over his face until he went in to speak with him. Okay. This is why I love and hate the NASB all at the same time, because the NASB tries to do as much as you can a literal translation. The problem with literal translations is they don't always work in English because word orders are messed up. So if that confused you like it did me the first 15 times I read it, Moses would go in before God, take his veil off. God would instruct him. Moses would come out, face all aglow, and instruct the people of Israel. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face. Okay, you with me? Why do it like that? Miracle confirms the message. It's a reminder that this is not Moses' words. These are God's words. Because let's be honest, if Moses starts telling you something other than God, what's going to start happening to that glow? It's going to be like, no, 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 no. Like cutting the power on those old TVs. Remember those old school TVs? You used to be able to unplug them into that, 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 that fuzz that would come off. And... Those of you under the age of 30 are like, what? Yes, there'd be like this radiation of, off the television. And we... Yeah, and when you were a kid, be honest, I wasn't the only weirdo. And you'd, turn, you'd, you'd stand real close to it and be like, and feel it buzz in your face. Yeah, see? You're grinning because you did it, and you're like, I would never do such a thing. <laughs> That's half the fun. Yeah. The sign is the sign of power, the sign of presence, the sign of God giving the message so that the people will what? Listen and believe. Christian. That's why I always tell you all the time, you know. You know. Because in Christ, the Holy Spirit has been given. That's why you've never once walked into sin and been like, I can't believe this was evil. I can't believe this happened. Yes, you can. You knew it before you went in. Don't lie to you. Deal with what we have before us. Deal with it honestly. Repent, return to Christ, and walk faithfully. This is the part we've got to remember. That God is at work. Excuse me. That God is at work always. And he is at work both doing and teaching. Christian, how do you typically learn the best? Yeah, being shown something. Yeah, there, there's the real answer. I, you know how I learned I shouldn't do that again? Because I did it and it didn't work out real well for me. I mean, this is, this is the old joke about the, the warm stove. So you, you got the stove on and the kid walks in and reaches up to touch it and you slap their hand. Don't touch that. Why did you slap their hand? Because you wanted that quick little bite of pain so that they would know that that's going to hurt me. Well, what do you do if the kid keeps reaching up and keeps reaching up and keeps reaching up? You, you're grinning because you, nobody wants to say it out loud. I will be the bad guy and I will say it out loud. You finally say what? All right, fine. Touch it. Ah! Now you know why I've been slapping your hand this entire time. There reaches a point where you just have to say, you got to learn the hard way. Welcome to your world. Welcome to the consequences of sin. Welcome to why this place is so broken. Because we have a world built upon sin and a rejection of who God is. We have a bunch of people not just sitting in God's chair, but fighting for the right. See, I didn't have siblings, but my kids do this. It's not good enough that one of them gets to sit in my chair. You know what the other one wants to do? I want to sit in the chair. Get over, move. And then I have to throw them out of my chair because they're going to break it. That doesn't work. Christian, what happens when the pagans fight over God's seat and fight over God's seat and fight over God's seat? They break it. What do they break? Everything. Everything. Welcome to the world around you. 
Why do the economic systems not work? Why does the government not work? Why does social services not work? Why does the store not work? It's broken. Why is it broken? Because the people who built it and the people who are running it are broken. So do we have a better way to build a mousetrap? Yeah, but it starts with what? Doing what I told you to do? No, it starts with trusting in the one who redeems you and transforms your heart, mind, and life. That's what it starts with. It's not do better. It's literally be better. I can't be better. I know. He makes you better. That's the difference. 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words... He has done this great work, and he has told me what this great work is. He has revealed so that I would know. I know, therefore I trust. Because I trust him, I do what? I follow him faithfully. If I follow him, will I be lost? Well, if I can't be lost as I follow him, am I afraid? Well, if I'm not afraid, will I do what the world wants me to do, or will I do what God has called me to? When I do what God has called me to, what does the world think of me? They hate me. They hate me. But when the world hates me, what do I remember? And that he has revealed himself to me. And because he has revealed himself to me, I know. And because I know him, I trust him. And because I trust him, I follow him. And I know that if I follow him, I will not be lost. And if I will not be lost, I am not afraid. And if I am not afraid, I live against the world. And if I live against the world, they'll hate me. And when they hate me, I remember that God has revealed himself to me. It's not a vicious circle. It's an awesome circle. Because I recognize his love, his grace, and his mercy. And I trust in his justice and his power. Because I understand both sides of the coin. In other words, I know him. And because I know him, I love him. And because I love him, I trust him. And because I trust him, I serve him. It's not the what, it's the why. The work that Moses is doing is the work that God has commanded that Israel would know, not who Moses is. Nobody cares who Moses is. Moses can't save me. God saves me. So as Moses rightly teaches me who God is, you're daggone right, I want to know what he's saying. And when I see the work and I see the parting and I see the thunder and the fire and everything on the mountain and I see the tablets and I see the shining face, I go, that guy is in the right place. I better start listening to what he says. And what he's telling me is that I need God. It's the same message that has been going on since the garden. You can't overcome, but there is coming from the woman, one who will crush the serpent, crush his offspring. He will be an eternal king. He will be a prophet who explains God and knows him face to face. He will be the one who fulfills all these things, all these things, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So in other words, I can see his grace. I can see his mercy in calling a people, and I can trust in his power and his might because once he establishes that people, they will not be taken from his hand. Christian, the why matters. Understanding the aspects of your life in light of who God is and what he has done changes your life. Not because your life is different, but because it changes the one who is living it. Let's pray.